How are you? I'm doing well, whoever asked that. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> before I go into the message this morning, I wanted to share a little bit, um, tell you how it came to be, a little bit of an origin story for the message. Uh, it's really not that epic. Well, I don't know, maybe it is. So um, before each service, we, we gather with our volunteers. Um, we just call it the huddle, and we, we talk about logistics for that morning. We pray for the service. Uh, we pray for all of, our, all of our volunteers. We pray for all of you. And uh, so last week, we were in the huddle, and I was, I was not praying about the service. Uh, for some reason, I, was, I just caught myself, I was praying about this. I was praying about what to say this morning. And usually, that's not the time I do that. Um, I don't know why I was praying about it at that time, but I heard, I, just, I was asking God, I said, what, what is it that you have to speak to Mount Helen Community Church next week? And just as clear as a bell, uh, I heard two words. And so I... Uh, kept those to myself, and I began just praying about what that would mean for the service today. And uh, I went on with my day, and I was just thinking about those two words. I was thinking about all of you, and uh, I, I, kind of, I found myself conflicted, honestly, because the two words are, the concept of these two words are, are pretty important to me and to my story. And uh, normally when we have speakers up here, we coach them in such a way that we ask them to deliver a message that, of course, that God is wanting to speak to you, but we ask them to appeal to the largest group of people possible. So when you take in all the life experiences in the room and on the people listening online, uh, we ask the speakers to just ask God, what is it that would speak to everybody? And so um, <clears throat> as I was thinking about it, I thought this morning I might not be able to fulfill that requirement, honestly, because the message that I have this morning is it's pretty simple. I'm just going to tell you that. Uh, there will be no Greek and no Hebrew looking at the words. Uh, and I just want to tell you, I just want to say honestly to you, it might not apply to you. Uh, but this morning, I really feel confident that there is at least one person that needs to hear this because um, these two words, this concept, have had a profound effect on my life. Uh, so this message this morning Honestly, if it's only for one person, um, it's a risk that I'm willing to take. And if you don't particularly get out or get anything out of this message, I'm sorry. Come back next week. There'll be a better speaker. <laughs> uh, the title of my message this morning and the two words that I heard last week is Welcome Home. And if we could cue that video... since we talked, I was, you know, I was kind of hoping you'd answer, but um, you know, I understand that you probably don't want to talk to me. I've just gone so far, and the things I've done, I, I just regret it, you know? And I know how bad I've hurt you and let you down, but, but Dad, I, I miss you. I miss how we drive around and just 
talk about life. And I just... I just want to come home. But... I know you've probably written me off. I can't blame you, actually. Here's... Here's, here's the thing. It's kind of a shot in the dark, but I'm, uh... I'm coming through town soon, and... to see you. I know I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. And if the sheet isn't there, when I drive by, I'll keep going and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore. I love you, Dad. watch that video so many times. <laughs> oh. So it's probably one of the the best well-known stories that Jesus ever told and we know it today as the the story of the prodigal son, right? It takes place in in Luke chapter 15. There's a father that had two sons and the younger son decides that he's had enough. He wants out and he has a better way. So he goes to his dad and he says, "Dad, um, I want my share of my inheritance early. And the father agreed. He divided up the estate and he gave half to the younger son and then half to the older brother. Now, the Bible doesn't provide a backstory on this story because it's a parable. It's a made-up story. Jesus made this story up to prove a point, and we're going to see why. But I would imagine the backstory, if, if we could imagine the backstory of this story, it was probably something like, the younger son, you know, he had all these dreams and plans and he thought, mate, you know, if I could just get the money that was coming to me, I could go out and live my life the way that it was intended and the way that I know I can live it. But as it turns out, our plans don't work out the way that we thought. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. Uh, Jesus continues the story uh, telling those gathered that pretty soon the, the son hits absolute rock bottom. And my favorite line in this story comes from 
Luke 15, 20. And I don't have the scriptures on there, so uh, this is in your Bible, Luke 15, 20. My favorite line, it says, so he, this is speaking about the younger brother. So he got up and went to his father. The rest of that verse says, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You guys, in one verse, this, this typically is not a story that's shared around Christmas time, but in one verse, Jesus shares with us the gospel. I mean, that is the good news. This is it. This is the gospel in one verse. And you guys, this is our story. It certainly is my story. And I think for so many in here, this is your story. He got up and he went to his father. You see, I wasn't, I wasn't raised in the church. Um, I didn't come to faith until I was 21. So that was like two years ago, right? Uh, I had plenty of time to do things that were not smart. And I had plenty of time to, you know, gather a, a reputation. That's why I relate to this story so much. And I love the Christmas season, right? The season that we're in because no matter where your faith journey has taken you in the past, it has found you here this morning. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. And the Christmas season is one in which the whole world focuses on a holiday that began with a baby in a manger. I mean, this is the Son of God in the flesh. And there is so much hope that Luke provides in those nine words. So he got up and he went to his father. So, I mean, imagine what was going through this guy's mind. He got up, went to his father, not knowing what to expect, not knowing how it was going to go down, not knowing what the consequences of his words were before. Probably the only thing that he knew was something we can relate to. He way overestimated how great it was going to be when he was in charge of his life, doing it his own way. Uh, If you go on in the story, verse 17 tells us that as the, the younger brother left, his father still had servants in his house. And verse 17 tells us that the servants of his father had it better than he did. So as he was living his life the way he thought he would want to, a couple things happened that we're going to look into, but the servants in his father's house had it better than he did. So he heads home, right? He got up, he went to his father, and here's our story today. And in this season, this is what we're celebrating this month. This is what we're, we're driving towards on December 25th. And that's why we're here today, because we're here to celebrate a story that's within this story. And you guys are going to see that it's a story of mercy, and it's a story of grace on an exponential level. I mean, what we're about to see is, I think it's still greater than anything we see in our lives. The other great line that I love in this story is the second part in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, there's a few things about this story that I find really interesting. We know this story as the story of, I said it earlier, what is it? Prodigal son, right? Even if you're not a person of faith this morning, and if you haven't heard this story before, I think this story is part of the vocabulary of our world. Um, I mean, you've heard those examples where it's like, oh, you know, you know the Johnsons down the street, the, their daughter, she's the prodigal one in that family, right? She's the crazy one that went off to California and she got involved with so-and-so and they haven't heard from her in months and they're trying to get her in rehab and she got out of rehab and she, that didn't stick and she wouldn't stay there. She's the prodigal one, 
in that family. You've heard that expression, right? The term has become synonymous with somebody who goes off the rail, blows up their life. And I mean, it's certainly consistent with this story because the story tells us that uh, in Luke, it says that the kid squandered his life in wild living. That's the Bible's way of saying he probably threw some really big parties, right? He squandered everything he had in wild living. But the story tells us that there was a day that the money ran out. Now, this is pretty significant because it's a parable. It's a made-up story. So Jesus doesn't tell us exactly how much the money is, but just looking at the father, he has, he's got a farm, you know, he's got all these servants. The father was probably doing very well. So when the guy asked for his half of the estate, that's a fair amount of money. But the story tells us that there's a point when the money ran out. It's this spot that we learned something we sang about earlier, that money is not going to buy you what you dream about. Let me say that again. Money is not going to buy you what you dream about. Well, Tyler, I I got a four-wheeler. I would question that. Is that what you dream about? I mean, they're, they're nice, but I think there might be something deeper that you're dreaming about. Because see, there's a wild card in this kid's story. There's something that happened that he didn't plan on. And I love this part because, you guys, let's think about this. Even though this is a parable, even though it's a made-up story, Jesus is so intentional with cultural references. He is so specific. And something happened in this kid's life that he didn't expect. A famine hit the land. And now he's broke, which is significant because I believe he had a lot of money. And now the country is broke. So he has to get a job, right? He's got to get a job. And this is the part I love. The kid in the story doesn't get any job. He gets a job on a pig farm. Now, I was thinking about this because if, if you're from somewhere, particularly maybe in the South, where that's a big deal, you're, you might be thinking, wow, that's, that's a great gig. You know, I grew up on a pig farm and we had quite the operation. And if, if I could have a job on a pig farm, that'd be great. Well, I would remind us that context is everything. So the when and the where of this parable is super important. And the fact that he got a job on a pig farm is the deal breaker in this story. So because if you go back in the beginning of Luke, there's, there's four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John told by four different people. So Luke provides us some detail. And Luke tells us that in the beginning of, of Luke, chapter 1, uh, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus doesn't like the religious leaders of the day because they're religious. They, they prevent it, they make it hard for people to access God. So he doesn't like these people. And so uh, Jesus is talking, he's got this crowd of what um, the religious leaders called sinners. So Jesus is talking to the sinners. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1 that, that the religious leaders start to go towards this crowd because they want to hear what Jesus is saying. Later on in Luke, uh, those leaders even objected to Jesus spending time with these people. They say, well, if you're really the son of God, you shouldn't be spending time with, quote, these people, right? And so, of course, Jesus knows what they're thinking right away. And so he began to tell them a series of stories, parables, that are made up to prove his point. And see, I think this is where the first misconception about this story happens. So let's pause the story for a second. I want to ask you, um, does anybody have headers in their Bible? Like whether it's in electronic, do you have a header in your Bible? Yeah, what the headers are, these were added later on by 
men much, much disassociated with the time and place. And what these are, they're the same, uh, they're, they're just tools to help us. So chapters, verses, headers, those were added for you and I. So things would be easy to find. Those were not, it's not like Jesus said, okay, I'm going to tell you three stories, Luke chapter 15, put this down as this header. Jesus didn't say that. Uh, and so in my Bible, as I was preparing this, I, I looked and it says, the prodigal son, that's the header. And see, I just don't agree with that header. I mean, I, I get what they're saying and I understand where you're going, but I just don't agree with the header. I never have. Um, I think it's placing the wrong emphasis on the story. See, when you look at the word prodigal in the dictionary, we're not going Greek and Hebrew. I promise we wouldn't do that. Uh, the definition of prodigal is wasteful and recklessly extravagant. That's what prodigal actually means. So we certainly see that in this kid, right? In Jewish, in Jewish culture, to go to your father and say, hey, can I get my half of the money now? You guys, just picture that for a second. That, that translates into something like, I wish you were dead so I could get my half of the money now. My life would be better if you were dead. That's what he's saying to his father. So imagine the hurt that he caused his father in that moment. And I would imagine, again, that as his father said, okay, with, I'm just assuming tears rolling down his face, okay, you can have what's coming to you. As the, the son walked out that day, he was probably dead to that family because he just committed this incredibly hurtful thing. I think that's pretty reckless. I think that's pretty extravagant, right? That request. But that's, see, that's not the only prodigal thing happening in this story. Later on in the story, when the younger brother comes home at the end of this story, spoiler alert, he comes home, uh, the older brother says, well, there is no way that I'm celebrating this kid who has absolutely trashed our family's reputation and he has all this unforgiveness and this bitterness. And I would say, that that was extravagant because the amount, I mean, this is his brother and he's saying, I'm not going to forgive him. There is no way I'm forgiving. And to me, that's extravagant. That's pretty lavish. But you see, the most lavish one in the story was not the, the hard partying younger brother and it wasn't the unforgiving older brother. I would propose to you this morning that the most extravagant thing in this story is the father's heart that we see. Because in it, we see mercy and we see love and grace. And you guys, the determination and the patience and long-suffering this guy had. I mean, think about that. The nights, especially those of you that are parents in here, the nights that he had prayed and watched and hoped and waited for that moment that his son could come walking down the road and he could just throw his arms around him and celebrate a son coming home. See, he's the most extravagant one. He's the most lavish one in the story. And that's why, like, in my Bible, I crossed out that heading. And in my Bible, it says, the loving father. Because that's where, that's where I want the emphasis. And that's where I believe the emphasis is. So back to the story. The religious leaders, they're, they're, they're crowding in because they want to hear what Jesus is saying to these sinners. And Jesus begins to tell them some stories. And I love that because even back then, Jesus knew the, the power of parable the power of story. And so he says, he begins to tell them three stories. And in Luke chapter 15, verse one, he says, there was a shepherd. And he says, this shepherd 
had 100 sheep and one of them strayed away and he got lost. You know what that shepherd did? When the one sheep didn't come back to the pen that night, you know what that shepherd did? That shepherd did what I hope that any of us would do in that situation. Because see, a, a few years ago, Leslie and I were at a conference. Uh, Leslie's my wife. And, uh, woo, and uh, the speaker was talking about calling. And I remember at the time, I was really asking God, what is my calling? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing in life? And so the, the message on calling was super timely. And the speaker invited people up for prayer at the end of the message. So we went up, and I will never forget what he said. Uh, I told him what I was praying about, and, and we knew each other, you know, from some, from some other things. And I was praying about calling, and I didn't know. And like even before praying, he looked me right in, and he's, he's taller, and he looked me right in the eye, and he said, Tyler, this is something you need to understand. He says, your calling is not a what. He says, your calling is a who. He says, you look at every example in the Bible. People are not called to a what. People are always called to a who. He said, so Tyler, go back and pray about who your who is, and you will find your calling. And <laughs> it was amazing because in, our, in our, just our reading, a short time later, I read this parable. I read this story, and as soon as I read it, something clicked, and I knew who our who were. See, the shepherd in the story left the 99 sheep in the pen. He went out into the night, the Bible says, found one sheep, rescued it from under the thicket. I think that's significant that it got stuck in. He put the sheep on his shoulders, and he came all the way back into the pen, and the Bible says that he called his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. For Leslie and I, that is our calling. We love being with the 99, don't get me wrong, but when there is a one that comes across our radar, it's DEFCON 5. It's on. It's, we get energy from that. We, we find reserve that we didn't know we had. Um, and that has brought so much purpose to our lives. Honestly, that is one of my biggest prayers for us as a couple and us as a congregation, that when people in our lives wander out and get stuck in the thicket, that we would go out into the night, that we would light up their phones, that we would light up their doorsteps, that we would do whatever it takes. Because I can tell you this, that in the thicket, the Bible says, in the thicket, the thicket is a lonely and it's an isolated place. And a simple text message or a simple phone call or a simple visit to them goes so far to bring that person back to where God wants them. How do you know that? I can tell you that because that is my story. I was that person. And somebody had the courage to keep bugging me and keep bugging me and keep bugging me to get me to church on a Sunday morning. And I am so thankful for that. You guys, that is my prayer, that we would, that we would go into the night and we would rescue that one. He then tells a second story. He says there was a woman who had 10 silver coins and she loses one. She, she searches her house everywhere to find that lost coin. And she finds it. And again, she calls her friends and neighbors and she says, come on over. We're going to have a party. I have found my lost coin. See, in all of these stories in Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus kept adding this little caveat at the end of every story. He says, hey, 
If you think that's something that a shepherd would celebrate finding a lost sheep or a woman would celebrate finding a lost coin, you have no idea how heaven celebrates when a lost son or a lost daughter comes home. He says there's more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents than there is in any other story on the earth. And then he said the third story. There was a father who had two sons. You know, this story is so important this morning for us to remember because uh, I think that there's a danger that we all have when we listen to messages, especially one like this. I think, if I can be honest, I think we get a little high and mighty, if I'm honest. I think we think, oh, I'm so glad you're sharing this message today because I have this guy at work. He is a doofus. And he really needs to hear this message. I am so glad. Maybe I can give him the audio recording. Oh, I have this lady at work. Man, she's an idiot. And, and she really needs to hear this message. I want to encourage you this morning. This message is not for your neighbor, and it's not for the lady. It is for you. This message is for you this morning. This message is for me this morning. What's, what's amazing about this story is the Bible says in Isaiah, it says that every single one of us hath turned and gone their own way. The Bible says every single one of us have turned and gone their own way. There is no exception. And later on in Isaiah 53, the scripture says uh, that Jesus laid the iniquity of all of us on his son, Jesus. So you guys, this season, we are celebrating a lavish and extravagant father who was and is still waiting at the end of the road. It's so interesting in the story when the, when the kid hits rock bottom, he's, he's sitting there and he's, he must be thinking, you know, my life isn't working. This, this isn't happening. I have to think there's a moment that he's thinking, okay, something is missing. I was created by a creator, and I need to go back to that. And there's a moment in the story that the kid does something that I think we need to do from time to time. He swallows his pride, right? That's tough to do. And see, that's why I love the detail that we're going to look at in this story. Because Jesus says that that job the kid got was on a pig farm, as I, as I mentioned. Now, I, I really believe that Jesus knew this would aggravate the religious leaders because I did a little bit of research on, I said, okay, what is culturally, what does that mean if you went to work on a pig farm? And it's really hard. Like, I, I went through all this text, and it was, it, it was really boring, you know, because I wanted to know. So what I did is I found a job today that has the same cultural reference. I want to show you a picture. This man's name is Exilian Sanat, and he lives in Haiti. And he was just featured in National Geographic because he is what is called a bayaku. Everybody say bayaku. It's a French word. Uh, see, Haiti's capital city where he lives, it doesn't have a sewer system. So instead, night soil, as it's called, or human excrement, is removed by human beings. And what they do is they go into these holes in the earth, they physically go in the holes, and they remove the night soil by hand. And they do it under cover of darkness because nobody wants to see people doing this. And nobody wants to talk about it. They just want it done. This is the first time ever that this job has been advertised or given light. And National Geographic just had it in their magazine. Um, the Bayaku, they do their jobs naked because they want to, they can't ruin their clothes every night. And so Exilian here, he, he reports that 
even though he washes himself thoroughly at the end of every shift, he is sick more often than not. And at the end of every shift, his eyes are almost swollen shut. He says he can barely see at the end of every shift. This is his job. This is what he does every single day. This is a picture of Exilion, and honestly, I cropped it because National Geographic shared some photos in there of him at work, and uh, the smarter person in my house said, you might not want to show that because I was gagging, honestly. And so this is the kind of cultural reference that Jesus put in when he says the younger son went to work on a pig farm. This is the kind of thing he was talking about. It was so repulsive back then, people didn't even want to think about it. And so, sitting in the bottom of that pig sky, Scripture says one of my favorite phrases in the Bible, Luke 20, 17, it says, when he came to his senses, the younger brother, he had enough. He says to himself, this is enough, I'm going home. I don't know if I'm even welcome, but I have to try. So, you guys, imagine for a second what that had to have been like. He's starting down the road. And maybe he's walking through this village, the same village he walked out of, now he's walking back in. And maybe there's villagers around who know this kid. And they think, oh, I heard about what he did. I heard about his request. And you guys, he just came from a pig farm. He looks like this. And so he's walking down this village. And people might be thinking like, told you so. Told you so. You'd be back. Maybe a little bit of judgment there. He's just walking down. He walks down, and that's when his father sees him because he had been waiting, and he had been watching. The father sees him, and filled with judgment, catch anybody there? The father sees him filled with compassion, runs to his son, throws his arms around him, and kisses him. Imagine for a second what his son smelled like. That's powerful, isn't it? He didn't say, oh, let's take a shower there, buddy. No, no. He grabbed him and he hugged him. And then he kissed him. What an amazing moment. So the son, he, he attempts to start in because you know that he had to have been rehearsing this speech as he goes down the path. So now is his, is his moment to, to, to say, I'm sorry, and to do the speech. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I love this. Scripture says, but... But the father said to his servants, why but? Well, I didn't look at the Greek of the word but, but I interpreted that as his father didn't need to hear it. His father interrupted his speech. His father interrupted his speech and he, he called to his servants. And he says, hey, bring the best robe, give him a ring and kill that fattened calf. Because tonight we're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate my son. He was dead and he is alive again. You guys, the same son that previously said, I wish you were dead. I want my money. Now the father's saying, we are going to celebrate because my son is home. The son that I've waited so long for is home. See, in the story, the father never acknowledges what the son said. There is no record of the father saying, uh-huh, yep, okay. And remember to apologize for that. And remember, no, he doesn't do that. But the father said to the servants, get me a rope, get me a ring, kill the cow. And you guys, that's important because it's never the quality of your words being just right that is going to bring you back to God. It is never the quality of your words. It is what is happening in your heart and is what is happening in that moment that you decide to turn 
and go home. When you turn away from your sinful way, you turn away from doing it your own way, and you turn away from the mess you've made, and you start heading back home, not knowing how it's going to go down, not sure how God's going to react, not sure whether you're even going to get another chance, God sees that turning. That is what is important. He knows because he's been waiting for you. He has been waiting for that turn in your life. Long before you even thought about coming home, he was watching down that road and waiting for you. He's had his eye on you every single day. And if you come home today, you will find open arms. You will find an embrace. You will find grace. But if you choose to stay where you are, he's still going to be standing there. He's still going to be watching for you. He's still going to be waiting for you. That does not change. So what do we do with this story today? Maybe there's somebody here who is like the dad in the video we watched in the beginning. And this Christmas season, maybe this is going to be the perfect moment for you to write a loved one a letter and say, you know what, I was at this gathering on Sunday and there was a story being discussed about this kid who God loves so much. And maybe it's time for you to just say, I just wanted you to know that even though we have a past and we can't rewind what happened and there's a lot of water under the bridge and our family's so messed up right now, I just want you to know that I love you and I want you to know that I adore you and I want you to come back home. In fact, I am inviting you back to this family because I want to take you back. Maybe the second thing this story is saying to us is if, if you're one that has been watching down the road, if you're one that has been waiting and praying for a turning, I want to encourage you guys this morning, please don't stop. Please don't stop. Keep praying. Keep watching. Keep waiting. Keep believing. Because I do want to tell you this, you're not the only one watching that road. You're not the only one watching that road. God in heaven is watching that road. And he is watching for your wife today. He is watching for your son and your daughter and your husband. He has his eye on those people. And I am here to tell you that he has a plan because that's what my Bible says. He says, I have a plan and a future and a hope for every single person. So our role, keep watching, keep waiting, keep praying, keep going into the night and lighten that phone up. Do not stop your love because of the action you see on that side. Keep believing. Maybe something else in the story today is we see that there's an invitation on the table for every single person in this room to come home to God. You know, for some of you, maybe there's a little knocking going on right now. Maybe a little knocking on the old heart. And maybe it's, you're experiencing this because you've known that this is coming for quite some time because God has been speaking to you. Maybe that's why your heart's been beating a little faster. And maybe you're sitting here and you're able to identify with the younger brother because you have been so far down that road that maybe the honest to God miracle is that you're able to listen to this today, that you are physically alive to listen to that. Maybe that is the miracle. If that is you, I want to tell you that God sees you today because God has always seen you. Every single day of your life, God has seen you. And he is waiting for you, like so many people in your life are waiting. He is waiting for you to turn and come home. 
because you will be met with an embrace and you will be met with grace. You were created to experience that grace. And maybe for some of you, you're hearing this for the first time, right? You just found out about home, (laughs) which is pretty cool. Maybe you're one that comes around on Christmas and, and Easter and today this is all clicking. It's becoming real to you this morning because you're thinking, hey, this baby in Bethlehem that I keep hearing about, the two times I go to church a year, it's becoming real. I didn't know this had an effect on my life and now you're telling me it's huge. God is saying to you, welcome home. This is where you were created to be in community. He's saying, come home, son. Come home, daughter. It's time. And I think one other thing we have to acknowledge is that maybe there's an older brother in the room. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that says, are you kidding me? This story is junk. Because is there no consequence for sin? My younger brother insulted my father, took the money, trashed our reputation, and now he just gets to waltz back in and kill the cow that I've been feeding for the last year? Is there no consequence? That's real. And I want to remind you today that yes, there are consequences for our sin. And while some things just can't be put back together, remember who's telling the story. This story is being told by Jesus. He more than anybody knows the the consequences of foolish choices. Because after he finished telling these stories, he set his eyes on Calvary. He set his eyes on the Easter story, where he would go innocent to the cross, where he would absorb the sins of the world, where he would absorb your sin. And just like the father in this story who opened his arms wide for his son, that is exactly what Jesus did, physically opened his arms. And you know what the Bible says in that moment? He says, anyone is welcome to come experience grace. Even this thief four feet away is welcome to come experience grace because he knew he was going to pay the ultimate sacrifice. He knew it wasn't going to be easy, but he laid down his life so that we would be able to do that. You guys, this is the story that we're celebrating this season. This is the story of lavish grace. This is the story of lavish unforgiveness. This is the story and the invitation, I believe, this morning that God is saying, welcome home. It's time. Would you stand? God, this morning we say thank you, don't we? We say thank you, Lord, God. We say thank you, God, that you did not leave us in the pig farm. But you have a a plan and a future and a hope, God. And I thank you this morning that you didn't leave me where I was. And God, I just pray, Father, now that for for all people gathered here, Lord, and for those listening, God, that... that, um, You would give us courage, Father. All those different situations that we talked about, Lord, you know them all. And God, we put those in your hands today. And God, thank you that you have a, a future and a hope in you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.